Welcome to Digest and Invest, the podcast from eToro that brings you the top financial stories and discusses their effects on the markets. This podcast is for educational purposes and should not be taken as investment advice. Make sure you understand the risks involved in trading before committing any capital and never risk more than you're prepared to lose. Past performance is not an indication of future results. And now onto the podcast. Hi, everyone. I'm Dylan Holman, and joining me is seasoned trader Henry Ward, who has over 10 years in the markets. Hello, everyone. How are you? So this podcast is a simple format, which will see us talking about the top three financial stories in the news. This week, we're looking at silver, Bitcoin, and the Nasdaq. First things first, though. Henry, how's your week been? Yeah, my week's been pretty good. Um, anyone who's a foreign exchange trader or a currency trader or FX has been, has been doing very, very well. You have Aussie US dollar, which is Aussie's been getting much, much stronger than the US dollar. And the same with the likes of GBP US dollar. So we've um, had some really, really good setups on this. But there's also a potential change of direction on CHF JPY, which is looking for the trend to change. So if that pops up, there's loads of upside on that. We've obviously just had a bank holiday here in the UK. Does that affect how people are trading? It, it would massively. Why? Because the same liquidity wouldn't be in the market. You will have um, the UK market, which will be closed down. In the foreign exchange market, there's $5 trillion a day traded, and 60% of that $5 trillion runs through the, the London Open. So yes, the market volatility will be massively down on the likes of um, a bank holiday here in the UK. Many traders see an upcoming bank holiday and then close their trades so they're not exposed to the markets. See, it depends on, on what type of trader you are. If you're a short-term trader, that rollover charge, so you would have Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, so you would actually get hit with an extra rollover charge on the likes of that because it's the CFD. But if you're a long-term trader, it really makes no difference to your position because you have a target in place and you wanted to go to somewhere. And look, an extra day really makes no difference to us. So it depends on really what type of trader you are. An entry day, Yes, you would close it if you're a swing trader or a trend-based trader, you would you just let it run. Right, let's get started with topic one then, which is silver. So a rapid rally in May has lifted the silver price back to where it started the year after falling about 38% in March. So when I think of silver, uh, I mean, I instantly think of jewellery, but what else is it used for? Yes, Dylan, silver has a huge range of uses. Um, you have it from electronics to batteries to solar panels to water purification to LED lights. And yes, jewellery is probably the best known use for silver. Yeah, okay. So it's used more than just uh, looking bling on your hand. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> yes, massively, yes. <laughs> so what caused this, uh, this sudden price movement? COVID hit every market across the world. Commodities were no different. And as we can see over the, over the markets, that gold has recovered massively from that low. And one of the things that happened is, is that silver was in a massively sideways market. It was in a little bit of a slumber or a slow burner over that period of time. Now, we have gold, which is massively overextended or a, a very dear for people to actually get in. So there's not much upside on it. Where we have the likes of silver, that hasn't moved over that time. And now all of a sudden, investors have jumped in. Why? Because there's value in that market and they're looking to get more money for their book. Now, if we have a look at it, since the 23rd of March, silver has risen by 15.2%, where in the same period, gold has only risen by 2.9%. So there's a lot of savvy investors out there who are looking at the likes of these. 
Now, they generally sort of are symbiotic that they go in the same trajectory because gold is, is, the, is the leader and then silver follows. But we didn't see this over this little period of time here on the market. So as a savvy investor and myself included, we were looking at silver to rally. And that's exactly what happened. And anyone who took those a trade and, and diversified into a little bit of silver is looking very, very pretty and happy at the moment. You've just mentioned gold there, which people typically um, consider a safe haven in times like this. But how correlated is silver? Is it also treated as a safe haven? Not necessarily. You have gold, which is the, the backer for the fiat currency. So that is classed as a safe haven. But silver follows what gold is doing. So it's like, to me, it's like the little brother that follows you around everywhere. And that's, that's what silver, <laughs> yeah, that's what silver, that's what silver does. It follows gold generally. What a lot of people did years ago is you had to buy a physical bar of gold to actually, to actually get it, but people couldn't afford it. So what would happen is if you weren't a, an investor who had a lot of money, you would jump into like a silver because it's the price is much cheaper than gold. So theoretically speaking, yes. It follows gold and it would be classed as that sort of safe haven, but not in the traditional sense. So yes, there's loads of value in the likes of silver there because it generally follows what the gold pattern does. So absolutely, but not in the traditional sense as you would have with gold. So big question, what is the outlook for silver prices then? Are you expecting it to rise even higher? Well, see, the thing about it is, is that it's still undervalued compared to gold. So that means then you have loads of upside out there just by that alone. But then you have the likes of the coronavirus, which hit every, every inch, every country. If we look into a little more in detail, we have mines in South Africa. We have mines in Mexico. And Mexico is one of the biggest mines out there. And people are starting to get back to work. So yes, we have a point where we can actually start the production of silver again. So um, is there upside on this? Absolutely. And we have pretty decent amount of upside there as well. So if you're an investor that's already in this, you could potentially look to hold on to it for more gains. Or if you're a new investor, you're sort of waiting for a little bit of a retracement and then potentially get into it. So there is, there is loads of upside in this, yes. Okay, excellent. Okay, well, let's move on to topic two now, which is Bitcoin. Bitcoin's prices fell 9.8% last week, um, which is actually the biggest weekly decline since the second week of March. Um, we've obviously just had the Bitcoin halvening. And so is this the main cause of this drop in price? Well, the Bitcoin halving really wouldn't drop it. As a general rule, this Bitcoin halving generally pushes the market to an all-time high. Why? Because it gets the buzz around the market. It gets everything going again. It gets people interested in the likes of crypto assets again. But we've seen a little bit of a difference in this one. We have a horizontal level there at a 10,000 mark, which has hit it twice. And I just reject it every single time. So it literally comes down to supply and demand. Now, the major demands on the, on the market is, the, is people known as the whales who are jumping into the market. And they haven't jumped in as of yet. That's a little bit disconcerting to investors to the upside. Um, because as we know, Bitcoin has been in a, a serious downtrend since the last 16, 17 so what's interesting is that despite the price drop, potentially because of it, the number of addresses holding smaller amounts of Bitcoin has actually continued to rise. So interesting to see that the number of unique addresses holding at least 0.01 Bitcoin, which is around the $87 mark, has actually risen to a new high of um, over 8 million addresses. Why do you think this is? 
Yes, that that may be correct, Dylan. But when you look a, a little bit deeper into those numbers, the number of addresses holding at least 10,000 and 1,000 BTC has declined over the last two weeks. So they would be the whales, wouldn't they? They'd be the bigger investors. They wouldn't be quite the whales as of yet. The whales would be the the, the potential 50, 100 million. But as a, as a medium investor, they have dropped and they're going to have a serious, a serious pull on the market. Now, the dip in demand may be associated with the bullish narrative on Bitcoin could repeat itself. Now, if we have a look back over the last halvings, we've had a, a witness the pullback of 30% before the bullish trend started off again. As traders, we start to look at markets to rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat over and over again. So we may see a bit of a decline here of a 30% decline and then kick on. So if we're at 10,000, we'd be looking for it to drop to somewhere in around seven and a half and then kick on again. And that would be following the previous halving. So yes, there is a bit of, um, of what's happened previously happening here, but only time will tell. It's possible at the moment that the UK economy is heading towards a recession. Um, and so would this be considered a, a good or bad thing for Bitcoin? A recession is a recession, Dylan. And that's not good for anyone, is it? No, and it means that more people lose their jobs. People will get paid less for what they're doing. Prices of food will stay the same and people can't afford. They have no disposable income. Everyone has less in their pocket, which means that then you have less money to speculate in the markets, whether it's BTC, whether it's any of the other cryptocurrency stocks or FX or the currency markets. So a recession is good for no one. So just, just get that into, into perspective there that nobody wants a recession because there's no one going to come out the other side of this with, with green positivity. And that's something that we've seen uh, years and years when any of these recessions that's happened, it's hit everyone everywhere. Bitcoin was obviously created off the back of the 2008 financial crash. So could, could you not see then that if there was a recession in the country that people might be more reluctant to house their money in banks and move it to a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin? Look, it's plausible. But if you run a poll there of everyone that's out there, would you put your money into like the cryptocurrencies or the likes of gold? Which do you think would win? See, because everyone has it in their head that the traditional asset of a safe haven is the likes of gold. Whereas you would probably have a 70-30 split with that, okay? Which means then the majority of people are putting their money into the likes of gold because that is the traditional. You know, people follow the same patterns over and over again. So it's the younger people, the likes of my age, Dylan, not yours, um, that would be that would be investing in the likes of Bitcoin. <laughs> I'm younger than you, Henry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to yeah. say, on, on that survey, it'd be interesting to see the age breakdown of people who would go to crypto versus gold. I would say the 20 to 30 bracket would be much higher skewed towards Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies as well, um, rather than gold. Yeah, but that's it. it. It comes down to sort of your education, where we have the older investors, their education is gold. Gold is the safe haven. You can physically hold gold, you can store it under your bed, and that's it. Whereas the likes of crypto assets, you can't physically hold it. You can transfer it to wallets and stuff, but you can't physically see it hold it, whereas the younger generation are fine with that. Whereas the older generation want to see it as tangible. Is now a good time to be investing in Bitcoin? 
for me, if we have a look at what's happened previously, it's, it's hitting that 10,000 mark and it's struggling to break it. We can see that was at about 13,800 in 2019. Okay, so that is the benchmark, which from that point in 2019, we had a massive downtrend for the next nine months. So we're slowly creeping up to the likes of that point. Now, do I expect it to break that? Probably not. Why? Because we just don't have the demand at the minute for us. We have much more downside than we have upside in this. So personally, me investing in this, no, I wouldn't be. I'd be looking for it to drop anywhere between three to five thousand pounds. And if I got down to that area, then yes, I'd be looking to invest. But at the present moment, we're in a little bit of no man's land. Now, we're not sure whether the market's going to go up or we're not sure it's going to go down. It is failing to break those highs. So there's likelihood is that there's more downside than there is upside at the minute. But as we know, this is all technical analysis. Whereas if we have a bit of fundamental analysis that comes out for a bit of good news that comes out on BTC, we all know what happens when a bit of good news comes out on these and the whales jump in. All of a sudden, this takes off and then we ride that rocket if it takes off. Yeah, it's interesting to hear that Goldman Sachs actually has an investor call tomorrow about Bitcoin and where they're going to discuss kind of the pros and cons of it. Um, So interesting in the fact that big, big, big institutional investors are now starting to discuss it, having dismissed it for so many years. So if they do jump in, then all of a sudden the price could be looking at 100,000 plus. But the thing about it is, is that, yes, they could be looking at, but a lot of these big banks, these investors, they buy and sell the position. There's never a big investor just physically buys it or there's never a big investor that will physically sell it. What they'll do is they'll take a position long and short. And what will happen then is that we will hear in the news that it's net long, okay? which means it is more positions long than short. But if it starts dropping, they can maneuver that into net short. Okay, so just be aware that when the banks jump in there, they like to be sitting on the fence, so they have to, to hedge themselves. Okay, so they don't incur huge losses because if you have a hundred million or two hundred million or a billion pounds and you take a position long and it starts going short, you're at the wrong side of that. So remember with all these hedge funds, they, they will take a position long and short, and what they will do is a net long or net short. So net long means overall their position is long. Whereas net short means it's overall short. Is that a strategy that you implement as well? No, not really. Why? Because I'm a trend-based trader. So I will look at the trends and I will just go with the trends. I will risk 1% of my account. Whereas the likes of these hedge funds, they will implement huge, vast amounts of money of that. If you have 100 million, they will probably put 50 to 80% of that into the market. But what they will do is they'll put 40% of that short and the other 60% long or vice versa. And now onto our last topic, the NASDAQ. The NASDAQ is up nearly 98% so far since hitting a low of uh, around the $6,600 mark back in March. So it's currently at over $9,500. So Henry, what what exactly is the NASDAQ? The NASDAQ is is my white horse. Is that my purple elephant? That's what the NASDAQ is. (laughs) But what the NASDAQ exactly is, it's a basket of commodities traded as one. Okay, so um, the NASDAQ stock, stock market is known as a NASDAQ. It's an American stock exchange located in New York City. It is ranked as second on the list of the stock exchanges by market capitalization of shares trading just behind the New York Stock Exchange. 
it's made of 100 companies and it's divided into 11 sectors. Now, the beauty of this as a trader, why do we want to trade the NASDAQ or an indice as one? Is because you don't have to know the ins and outs of each individual stock. Because as a, as a trader, we will go in and we will look into the P ratio, we will look into the earnings, the projected earnings for the next 12 months, what it's done previously, we'll then start looking at charting software. But if you're looking at, say, the NASDAQ, so that's 100 companies, we're looking at the NASDAQ as a whole, or we're looking at a sector as a whole. So it means that we're not looking at all that information, we're putting it together and trading it as one. And that's why the NASDAQ is so simple to trade and why a lot of people trade is because you don't have to use up as much time going into and reading about it. You read about this and have a look at the NASDAQ. It's the same as jumping in on one stock, but who only ever trades one stock? We generally trade five, 10, 15, 20 different stocks. So it means that you are saving an awful lot of time by trading the likes of the NASDAQ or the S&P or the Dow or any of those indices for that matter. If you're a company looking to list yourself following an IPO, how do you decide which exchange to actually be listed on? Well, it comes down to a few different factors, Dylan. Now, one of them is, comes down to what sort of sector you're in. Now, the NASDAQ is massively known for its tech sector. Okay, that's one of the huge sectors there. So if you're a tech company, where you want to be is in the NASDAQ. Now, secondly, it comes down to where you actually want to get into. Okay, because some of these will not let you in. It's like, for instance, Apple. Apple tried to get into the S&P. And when they went and submitted the papers to get into the S&P, they weren't let. So it means then they actually had to go into the NASDAQ. Now, some 20 to 25 years later then, the S&P then approached Apple to come across. And they said, absolutely no, we're happy where we are. There's loads of different things to take into consideration with that exodus. So it's not only where you want to be, it's whether you'll actually be accepted in as well. So even though the Nasdaq's outperformed its peers, CME, along with others since the beginning of 2020, analysts on the whole are saying that the Nasdaq now has limited upside potential. Why do you think this is? Well, you say that, Dylan. Now, if that's the type of trade that you're looking to do, I will definitely take the other side of that, Dylan. <laughs> okay, so you're bullish on this one then. <laughs> um, but look, there, it would... I'll come back to that a little bit later, but there are a few different reasons on this. One is that we're almost at a record high. The market price at 9,740. Now today's price is 9,581. So we're very, very close to hitting that high. Now, why is that important? Because you will have a lot of people who will have their take profit just inside that 9,700 mark which means that you'll have a lot of people who are jumping out of the market with some profit, and which means then there's less money in the market. You will then have the people who are looking to short the market. Okay, so they will also be looking to jump in. All right, so they will be looking to place their market short. There's two main reasons that that horizontal level there is quite important. And then the second one is there's a lot of investors not in the market as of yes. So we talked about Warren Buffett there a couple of months ago. Uh, Berkshire Hathaway, the likes of those, they're sitting on huge amounts of money. Why? Because they're not sure that this is a false run. What I mean by false run is we have the quantum easing that put in trillions of money into this market. This is a market, is this market false? That this bull run that we're having, is this all due to the likes of the quantum easing and you have small investors getting in very, very slowly? Or do we have the big boys in? 
Now, if we have the likes of the big boys in there, then we can go from there. But like I said to you there a few minutes ago, I'm happy to take that to our side, is that if we look back historically, is that the NASDAQ has been going up since the day it opened. At any point up to, no, it was it February last year, or February this year, at any point, if you got in in the market with any money at any point, you would be up money on this. So the idea is, is that, and the market does what that does, would expect it then to smash that level and continue going. So you'd but, have to be a brave man to go against the Nasdaq. Absolutely, a brave. You, you, you'd want to have, um, you'd want, yeah, I was going to say something, but I can't, I can't say it. <laughs> well, I think we all know what you're going to say there. <laughs> you'd want to be a bold investor to back against the likes of Nasdaq. Why? Because this is made hugely up of, of tech, and tech, as we know, have been going from strength to strength. So yes, you'd be a bold man, but that doesn't mean that we won't have some sort of a down spike on this and then eventually go through it. But let's see what happens. Great, that wraps up our th- top three topics. Uh, but before we end the podcast, is there anything else that listeners should be keeping an eye on? Well, we have the likes of the US indices there that have taken off and they're a massive a bull run. But the likes of the European and the Aussie 200 haven't. Okay, now my eye is actually on the Aussie 200. There's a key level there. And if it breaks from retest that level, I can see huge upside in this. But if we look at the European indices, they're the same. The likes of the French, the DAX, the, the FTSE, there's loads and loads of value in them. All we have to do is we have to time our entry correct and to get in on us. And then if the market takes off and we get in at the correct time, then there's loads of upside, yes. Surely with a lot of the retail shops now being given the heads up that they can open up in the next few weeks, this could potentially trigger a real surge in the FTSE. Absolutely, it could. But the problem is is that you will see people go back slowly. The Q2 returns will be massive. If shops can get anywhere close to what their new projected figures are. Does that make sense? So we know that all all companies... um, Q2 figures are going to be down, but if they can get anywhere close to where they were supposed to be, then yes, they they could absolutely rock it. Well, thanks very much for that. Um, That's it for this week's podcast. We hope you've all enjoyed listening. Uh, If you want to learn more about these three topics, there are actually specific blogs that are on the uh, eToro website at the moment. And you can also join Henry for his markets update webinar next Tuesday. So if you go to the eToro trading school page, you can see the likes of my courses, which I run every two weeks, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Or you can actually go to the advanced trading days that I do. Or you can actually sign up to my Tuesday webinars. So my Tuesday webinars are not educational. They are running through the market, seeing what people are looking at, showing of what I'm looking at. And then the idea of this is to give you ideas, see charts that you're not traditionally looking at. Perfect. Well, thanks a lot for that. And uh, we will chat next week. See you later. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Digest and Invest by eToro. For more information, visit eToro.com.